Hi listeners, welcome to a new episode of the David Crit podcast. My name is Britt, and today we are continuing our series on William Kentridge's art by focusing on the presence of rhinos in his work. Here we present to you two related extracts about rhinos and the making of them, taken from publications on the artist's work. Both of these extracts focus on the work made around the time of William Kentridge's production of Mozart's The Magic Flute, in which the rhino plays a central role via onstage projections. In 1998, William Kentridge was commissioned to produce The Magic Flute, an opera created by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, which debuted in Vienna in 1791. The story follows Prince Tomino and his comical companion, the birdcatcher Papagino, on their quest to rescue Pamina, the daughter of the Night Queen, from captivity under the high priest Sarastro. Instead of achieving an escape from Sarastro, Tamina and Papagino, along with Pamina, learn the high ideals of Sarastro, undergoing severe trials of initiation into the community. Ultimately, the queen and her cohorts are vanquished. Papagino fails the trials completely, but is rewarded anyway with the hand of his ideal earthly companion, Papagina. The book William Kentridge Flute, published by Davicourt Publishing in 2006, traces the creative project of Kentridge's production of the opera and its relationship to its dark progeny, Black Box. Kentridge's sombre masterpiece about the massacre of the Herero people in southwest Africa, now in Namibia, at the beginning of the 20th century. The following reading comes from the book, extracted from the closing paragraphs of Kate McCrickard's essay, I Am the Birdcatcher, in which she traces themes from the projections Kentridge created for the opera and the ways in which these are revisited in additioned work. Three dry point prints made in 2005, figure one, crowd pleaser, figure two, dunce, and figure three, disclose a direct correlation with Tomino's scene in Act One of The Magic Flute, where he tames wild animals with the sound of the enchanted flute given to him by the Queen of the Night. Unlike the Ingmar Bergman, Maurice Sendak and David Hockney productions, where an assortment of magical beasts parades entranced by the flute, there is even a floppy walrus flapping on his back in Bergman's film. Tomino charms a twin-horned African white rhino, an endangered species. The projected animation dances to the flute, even managing a handstand before he is hoisted up off the stage. The artist's lyrical draftsmanship and animation of the rhino, who has jointed limbs like a pin puppet, makes the huge beast appear elegant and somewhat fragile. The rhino was a symbol of power and kingship in Europe for centuries, most remarkably exemplified by Clara, a three-ton Indian rhino brought to Europe in 1741, who toured the continent in a horse-driven carriage for 17 years, becoming a favorite of Frederick the Great and Louis XV and a popular motif on Meisen's 18th century porcelain dinner services before her demise from an alcohol and tobacco habit. Clara was immortalized by Jean-Baptiste Audry in 1749 in his life-sized oil portrait and in Roberto Longhi's exhibition of a rhinoceros at Venice, 1751. Both were corrective images to Dürer's fearsome beast and dispelled the fallacy attributed to Pliny and Gerstner, among others, which claimed the rhinoceros as a formidable creature that fought with elephants and was descended from the unicorn. Kentridge's three prints recall Dürer and also Birkmeyer's fantastical 16th century armoured beasts, but transform him from a regal motif of power, 
into a domesticated creature that solemnly gazes at his water. Related drawings even display the dog's name Fido on the rhino's bowl. This rhino is rather a symbol of a romantic, exploitative, colonialist view of Africa, developed previously in an earlier animation, Mine, in 1991, in which Soho Eckstein, the mine owner, digs up a whole social and ecological history out of the earth and receives a miniature rhino from the miners as he drinks his first cup of coffee. A flimsy red pastel line confines the rhino, creating the illusion of a winch, an outsized dancer's cap and a trampoline for him to bounce on. During Sarastro's second aria in Diesen Halgen Hallen, Kentridge projects onto the backdrop the only piece of found film footage in his entire production of The Magic Flute. It is a fragment of Robert Schumann's film Rhinoceros Hunting in German East Africa, in which we see the graphic stalking and killing of a rhinoceros trapped by both the gun and the camera, another result of the possible consequences of Sarastro's rationalism. By introducing photography into his production, Kentridge reinforces the conception of colonialism's perverse relationship to the Enlightenment and its belief that it was bringing light to the dark continent. In the film, the hunters tug on the rhino's upper lip in a final insult as he dies. This is a piece of colonial propaganda that contrasts emphatically with the pensive, gentle humor of the prince or Tomino's dancing stage rhino. Similarly, in Kentridge's preparation for Black Box Chambre Noire, another rhino constructed from torn paper and charcoal drawing emerges from the chrysalis of a typewriter, a machine that records information not unlike a camera. He pulls himself up onto his hind legs, a figure of strength and freedom, balancing tall on his folded paper limbs, a reminder to us that colonialism, narrow learning and rationalism may tame and exploit, but they can never completely crush the spirit. Double Vision is the catalogue that was produced to accompany an exhibition of the same name, which had the ambitious plan to simultaneously investigate the work of Albrecht Dürer and William Kentridge, and their approaches to printmaking. One of Dürer's most famous woodcuts, created in 1515, features a powerful Indian rhinoceros that was the first of its kind to make it to Europe alive since the 3rd century AD. The rhino was given as a gift to the Portuguese King Manuel I by governor of the Portuguese colony of India, Alfonso de Albuquerque, who in turn had been gifted the armoured animal by the Sultan of Gujarat. The rhino arrived in Europe in May 1515 and became the subject of marvel and attention owing to its reputed ferocity and dangerousness. This resulted in descriptions of it circulating throughout Europe, transmutations of Dürer's iconic image. An impression of Dürer's rhino hangs in William Kentridge's family home. This extract by Alka Anavana relates to Kentridge's use of the image of a rhino in his work and how the nature of trope has shifted over time. Two of the rhinos mentioned in this extract are on show as part of William Kentridge's 27 years of collaboration at David Crude Projects, 142 Jansmatz Avenue, Parkwood, until November 2019. Transformations of the Rhinoceros in William Kentridge. It is in the context of Dürer's reception and adaptation that Kentridge's rhinoceroses can also be located, although this is not the case in his earlier works. His first representations of rhinoceroses, such as those in the social satire drawings of the 1980s or in Mine from 1991, his third animated film from the series Nine Drawings for Projection, are reminiscent of Pietro Longhi's painting of 1751, 
which depicted the rhinoceros Clara as a harmless circus animal in a crowd of courtly spectators. The way that Kentridge makes the rhinoceros seem more harmless in his early work stands in stark contrast to the natural strength and dangerousness of the animal, which is traditionally included among the big five species of wild animals in Africa. The images produce a tension in which the conflicts in the living space of the big five are reflected. On the one hand, they have the status of a national symbol for South Africa, but on the other hand, as a consequence of colonialism and a growing demand for rhinoceros horn powder, they are highly endangered. There are more rhinoceroses living in South Africa today than anywhere else in the world. However, more animals are also killed by brutal poachers there than anywhere else. The small and cute rhinoceroses in Kentridge's early work arouse a protective impulse in the viewer. In these images of a society marked by apartheid, the rhino, as an irritating moment in the image's internal narrative, is tasked with making reference to the political situation in the country and its endangerment as a consequence of the colonization and marginalization of the indigenous population. It was only in 2005, during the work for the production of Mozart's The Magic Flute in La Monnaie Opera House in Brussels, that Dürer's armored and powerful rhinoceros developed into a complex object of reference for Kentridge. In this opera project, which, as with other works for the stage, Kentridge expanded into an entire suite of works, with preparatory works and works that followed on from it. The artist tied in the Enlightenment ideas of Mozart's The Magic Flute, with the consequences of German colonial rule in German Southwest Africa, present-day Namibia. The violent, civilizing process of the indigenous population by the German colonial forces culminated in 1904 in the revolt of the Herreros, the suppression of which ended in the deaths of several tens of thousands of Herreros. The German strategy of annihilation is considered the first genocide of the 20th century, the genocide that the German federal government only recognized as such in 2015. By connecting the crimes of German colonialism with the material of the magic flute and its optimistic enlightenment ideals of reason, order and science, Kentridge confronts Germany and Europe with the repressed memory of this phase of its own history and subjects its positive self-image, so informed by the Enlightenment, to a critical revision. In the first act of the magic flute in which Tamino tames the wild animals by playing his flute, a rhinoceros enters the stage as a representative for the other animals and begins to dance. Kentridge, unlike Dürer, does not depict an Indian rhinoceros, but an African rhinoceros with two horns, and as such an animal that is endangered in his homeland and in neighboring Namibia. However, the manner of his depiction calls to mind Dürer's rhinoceros. As with Dürer, it appears mostly in profile and is characterized by a, for Kentridge, new physicality and magnitude. Beyond these formal similarities, Kentridge amplified the artificial character of the Dürer rhinoceros by translating the static posture of the historical original into diverse movement motifs. These do not correspond to the natural movements of the animal, but rather depict it like a marionette in the performance of dance and gymnastics routines, like a dog in front of its bowl, or dangling in the air suspended by carrying straps. The animal finds itself imprisoned, where it is exposed to the human's most absurd desires and habits. Through the titles Crowd Pleaser or Dunce, the images are augmented by concepts that com comment upon them critically and ironically. As the only color accents in the picture, red lines strengthen the absurd and oppressive mood of the situation. The lines drawn accurately with ruler and pencil are reminiscent of measuring lines that measure out the body parts of the rhinoceros or chart its movements. 
Capturing the animal from above, these thin but vibrantly colored geometrical highlights seem to exert an astounding power over the rhinoceros, originally so strong in nature. While the red lines draw the animal into a rational system, it is simultaneously defined by a dynamic sense of motion in the opposite direction, which comes out of the mobile play of a dense and heterogeneous arrangement of oscillating lines. They form the internal structure of the body of the animal, apparently following no system, strokes ranging from the very fine up to thick markings achieved through multiple reworkings of the printing plate and the use of different etching needles. They form a network of soft lines, almost blurring at the edges, revealing a kind of gestural fracture. In the all-over quality of the lines, however, they are reminiscent of a process similar to écriture automatique, in which movements by the drawing hand are not intentionally guided. The tension between these two fundamentally different forms, the geometric line and the apparently uncontrolled line, finds an echo in the background in the form of the larger curved lines, drawn with more space between them. In the preparatory drawings for the Rhino series, it becomes possible to recognize how Kentridge tests out the form and position of the animals on the page and their interplay with the red lines. The pentamenti that are made in the course of this drawing process are indeed etched away, but they remain visible as a trace of the artistic labor. A palimpsest-like structure emerges, which follows on from the specific mode of drawing that Kentridge had developed towards the end of the 1980s for his animated film. In a series of rhinoceros lithographs created in 2007, the animals are presented in a more assertive fashion. Their movements are more natural, even hint at combativeness. The depictions themselves are larger in format and the powerful brush strokes in the lithographic process lend the animals an expression of physical strength and mobility. Their natural dynamic is amplified by the collage technique. The lithographs were initially printed on pages of old books. These prints were then torn, creating separate image shreds, which were then collaged together by the artist. While the body of the animals is given a new form through the piecing together of the shreds of paper, the original order of the pages of the book is scrambled. The book's language-based ordering of knowledge is transformed into a new visual order through the poetic labor of the artist. In this way, representations of rhinoceroses emerge as results of the artistic action as a poetry of the simple activity of the hand, whose movements in the newly created order remain visible and thus can be traced by the viewer. And that does it for today's episode. Davicrit Podcast is a production of Davicrit Projects. Production, editing and mixing were done by Hagen Gazi. Narration and research provided by Jacqueline Flint. Until next time, I'm Britt Lawton.